You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. Importance of being here. And I, to be honest with you, I'm just going to be super transparent. Um, I don't want to be here. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Totally kidding. Um, I'll be super transparent with you. Um, I've thought about this question for a long time in my ministry. Um, I think everybody should do that from time to time, whatever you're doing. You know, why am I a teacher? What, what is my purpose? Why am I a business owner? Why am I a manager? Why do I work at this place? Why do I work out? Why do I eat differently? Why do I, you know, uh, why don't I do these things? Why, you know, I think those, uh, unless you just kind of go through life and, and just kind of you know, blindfold it to these things, I think it, it makes us better people to understand. It makes you go to work differently. If you say, why do I do what I do? Then you're going to go to work. Uh, I mentioned last week we met this lady and uh, when we were in Pittsburgh and uh, her name was Yvonne and she was uh, she was uh, at the service counter and you could tell she was on mission she was not just selling you know uh, vegetable bowls she was on mission and I, I promise you that whenever she went to work she was like man I'm I'm going to be on mission so why do we come to church What's the whole point of coming to church? As a pastor, I've asked that question, you know, uh, a number of times, like, what is it? Because I know that you would expect for me to say, hey, come to church, right? Because you think, well, Steve, that's, you know, where you work and everything. But take, take any of our culture out and get into a biblical worldview, a biblical view. Why is church important? Because in these days, we're the, thing, the anchors of our culture. The anchors even of our biblical worldview are being chiseled away. Don't know if you've seen that. I mean, the difference between a male and female is being chiseled, if I might be so honest. Uh, what is truth? What is, a, what is a constitution? What is, you know, so many things that should be cornerstones are now being chiseled away. And I think church is the same. We continually see and especially mainline denominations where there's a, a chiseling away of as if it's not important. We haven't used this phrase in our culture for a while, but some of you might remember WIFM, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? And our culture tends to be growing towards this, as the Bible said it would, that, you know, why am I going to do something? What's in it for me? The Bible tells us that that is not the Christ mindset. The Bible tells us that we are in a mindset for others. And so today we're going to tackle this issue, this problem, because for you, coming to church uh, may be a casual thing. Uh, I haven't got anything else to do. I'll go to church today. It may be like, no, we never miss church because that's what my parents did and my grandparents did. So on either of those spectrums, it's really if we could dig down deep and be and come with your open mind, open heart, allow the word of God to challenge us and say, why are we here? And what is the importance of being here? There's many reasons we won't be able to cover them all. Um, oh, what the heck? Let's do cover them all. No, just kidding. We won't have the time to cover them all. But there is one angle, I think, for our from a biblical point of view that I want to to cover. So, um, uh, so we we jump in. I was thinking about you know, school starts this week, and uh, our senior in high school uh, it comes to, goes to school starts this Wednesday. Uh, our sophomore in 
College goes back to school at Tallahassee uh, next week. And, uh, you know, we're getting to that place in our life. My wife and I, we're getting to that place in, in our lives where, uh, you know, both are going to have two kids in college. So after the, in this economy, man, it's tough. So after the service, we will be selling seashells out in the lobby. <laughs> Just want to let you know that. Yeah, two bucks a pop. We spray paint them for three and uh, put a magnet on it for four and uh, two for five uh, special. If you know. <laughs> But you, you know, you get to this point and, and we, you know, they, everybody says they grow up so fast, right? And then we say here today, gone tomorrow. But see, the biblical worldview of a human being is that we're never gone. As many of you know, my mom passed from this life to the next life last October. My mom's not gone. She's not here. There is no extinction for any living human being ever in history. People will exist even if they're not existing in God's presence. People exist in hell. People exist in heaven. Nobody just goes away. There's no biblical point of view that says life is just over and you're extinguished and that's it. We have the sense that human beings, even when we're not, you know, the, the saying is distance makes the heart grow fonder, right? Because even when we're apart, we're together. There's a supernatural realness that the world won't teach you. The supernatural realness is that there's an invisible tethering. If you're a Christ follower, it's called the body of Christ. So the people that you've seen in Ukraine today or Iraq today, you've never met them and probably never will. But the Bible says that there's, there's a phenomenon, that there is a tethering of, of human beings and Christ followers at a supernatural level. But even outside of supernatural level, there's a tethering because this is the way that God engineered us. Let us make man in our image. We are created not only in the image of God, but we're created in the our image of God. What do I mean? That our image of God is rela intimately relational. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. John 1.18, we get a little bit of surfacing. You know, like whales come up or, or uh, manatees come up. Like, oh, there it is. You, you, you see it surface at times. John 1.18, no man has ever seen God. We don't know what he's lo he looks like. But here's a little glimpse of, of, of God surfacing what that our image like. No man has ever seen God, John said, John 1.18, except the only begotten Jesus who was in the bosom of the Father. This is an example of the image in which we've been created. Okay, what do I mean? Simple terms. We're created to be wired to, to, to need each other, to be connected to one another as human beings. Listen, whether you're a Christian or not, you are created not to be alone. And for that reason, it's good for us to be here because we need it. And when we're not, we miss it. In other words, we need community. We need family. We need neighbors. We need coworkers. We need people. People need people. Are you, are you following? Simple, right? Seems very simple. Therefore, in the scripture, you see these massive times of gathering. That if you were there, anybody who would have been like, wow, it's good for us to be here. Let's take the last speech of Moses. Moses had the luxury that most of us don't have, that he knew 
the end of his life was near. And so he was handing the baton off to his protege, Joshua. And then he said, let me, let me uh, uh, give you the final kind of challenge before I pass from this life to the next. And so this major speech and all the nation came together. Millions came together. Just can you imagine if you've ever been in an arena with, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 people. Uh, I, I remember I went to a U2 concert and uh, and that um, was with someone 30 years younger than me who insisted that we were in the mosh pit. First time and last time I'll ever do that. Uh, but, you know, boy, you could feel, you know, just the power of that many people and that close of a space, especially when the guy behind me vomited. It was, uh, you know, I felt connected at a human level. And uh, my wife said, hey, somebody's smoking. I'm like, it's a rock concert. Yes. <laughs> so, so, you know, we have those connections in the Bible. You're standing there. Moses, this giant, this epic hero is giving the final speech, what it must have been to be here with Moses in the presence. I'm thinking of the same thing with Joshua. If you read the end of the book of Joshua, we looked at it a couple of weeks ago, must have been the same thing. The book, the end of the book of Nehemiah, where they had reconstructed the walls. I mean, they had a choir on this wall. They had a choir on this wall. I mean, the worship was just open. It was going. And I mean, they, these guys were trained singers. I mean, it must have been amazing. And everybody would say, it's good for us to be here. When they dealt, they built the uh, temple, you know, David, King David wanted to build the temple, but he, God had other plans. His son Solomon was to build the temple and God could gather the entire nation. We find this, by the way, in Second Chronicles chapter six, Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, the entire nation. And he spread his hands out, and they're spreading their hands out. Can you even imagine the entire United States gathering for a worship service? Can you imagine that? And then everybody was like, wow, <laughs> it's kind of good to be here. What do you think? So that, that you can feel it. And then fire, Solomon prayed, then fire fell from heaven. And this, in Second Chronicles 7, 3, when the Israelites, all the Israelites saw the fire coming down, the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground. They worshiped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, He is good. His love endures forever. Put it in your backyard. The entire United States on their knees, face down, worshiping the creator of the universe. And after fire fell from heaven, I think anybody in their right mind were like, hey, it would have been really good to be there. Everybody in the crowd would say, man, it is good for us to be here. I read this article in Psychology Today that said this. Watch a movie in a packed movie theater and you'll actually enjoy the movie more as you get to hear the ooh, the ah, the screams, right, of the crowd. Have you ever been to a premiere of a, a movie and the, the, the whole theater is packed out? Somehow it feels even better. Statistics tell us, like in the National Hockey League, that home games, the team will win a home game 17.5% more than they will when they're away. Then the basketball league, NBA, they, they are the same thing. They, have, they will win 20% more 
of their games when they feel the energy of the home team. So you remember when we were climbing out of the COVID restriction hole and uh, the, the sports teams started back in the stadiums, but they were missing one thing. They were missing the crowds. Remember how that went? It was weird, right? You see that, and it must have been even weirder to be a, an athlete on the field. So you remember what they did? They piped in the sound of, uh, of human crowd noises. I thought, man, that would have been cool to be a sound engineer. Like, you know, they score a touchdown. You know, and then, you know just the soundboard, and they're putting all that in. And then you remember they went from sound to sight. You remember watching games and they had cardboard cutouts? <laughs> See, they discovered that it was important for humans to have other humans. And the epidemic, the pandemic that we're experiencing human beings that happened before COVID was loneliness. This is, this is one of the deepest heartbeats, arteries of our heart with small circle. That people can be lonely even in a group of 10 to 12 people. But when you come to a table for two, man, there's a different layer of somebody actually knows me. They just don't hear me, but they know me. And every human being has this innate need, this intrinsic desire to be with others. And yet, some of you may be saying, dude, I don't want that at all. And that's the tension that we have as human beings because Adam and Eve broke everything, including relationships. And the first thing they did was hide. And so we have this design in us to say, man, I want to be with others. And yet, I'm cool with being alone, too. In fact, there's sometimes that you go to the grocery store, you're trying to dodge people. At least I am. You know, I've, I've, I've had enough of you people. I want to just go down the toothpaste aisle and not see anybody. Have you ever been there? So there's this tension when we see it. One of the greatest challenges that we have sometimes, even in the midst of a crowded culture, in, in, in our spiritual lives, and the most dangerous place that we can ever face is when we feel that nobody understands what we're going through. And then we become, there's an aloneness. Our most dangerous moments in life are not when we're by ourselves, but when we inwardly feel like nobody gets it. Nobody's there. Nobody's there for me. And if you've ever felt this way, and if you, if you say no, then you're not being truthful. Because we've all had these moments because the key, most key players in the scripture had these moments. Let me give you a, just a short list. Moses said in Numbers 11 to God, I cannot carry all these people, the millions of, of Israelites. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy, not for us, but for me. And if God, if this is how you're going to treat me, then put me to death right now. Was he suicidal? He was. He was at the end of his rope. In, listen, don't miss the context. In the midst of being in the middle of three million people. This is universal sign for three million. <laughs> in the midst of three million people, he's like, I can't do this anymore. You may be sitting at your workplace with a lot of people around you, but in your heart, the thing that's killing you, a relationship, a marriage, 
health, whatever that thing is, it can make you feel like you are walled in and nobody gets you. It's a dangerous moment spiritually. Elijah said it this way. I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. Think about it. These are key players and they're to this level. I am no better than my ancestors. Why? Because I'm the only one left. He wasn't accurate. If you read the story, it wasn't accurate, but that's how he felt. David said this in Psalm 142. Hey, God, look to my right and see. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. Paul said at his last thing he, that we have recorded that he wrote, 2 Timothy 4, at my first defense, nobody came to my support. I've poured it out for them. I've pastored them. I've shepherded them. I've taught them. I've challenged them. And I went to court and not one single soul was there. Think about the, the moment. If you just put yourself in their shoes for a minute. The moment, like, dang it, man. If you read the Greek, it does say, dang it, man, in there. <laughs> At my first defense, nobody came to them. Everybody deserted me. Dang it. It's real. These guys are real. That's why I love the Bible. Not a bunch of fables that just make you feel good. Let's think about Jesus for a second. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He comes out and says, you're my closest three friends. Couldn't you stay awake for an hour? And then the moment that, that on the cross, even his dad, his father, why have you forsaken me? It must have been the deepest, loneliest moment in his life. And we sang about it this morning. Last time I checked, they only put one Savior in a tomb. And we sang that he was all alone. Listen, why am I going through this list? If you felt alone, you're not alone. If you felt alone, you're in, the, you're in a crowd of, of other people that got it. So it's good for us to be here. Even if someone can't know you sitting in a big circle, it's good for us to be here because not only the way we're wired to need it, but it's also the way that we see each other. Listen, what do I'm saying? You see those three circles in our logo. They're not just big mid-circles, big, big, big mid-small circles. But they mean the reality, what we've tried to do is like, what could we really expect on a Sunday morning? We can expect to see people. We can expect to hear people in a group. And we can expect to know people when it comes to a table for two. But as you mature, and this is where I'm going to land today, as you mature, you start adding one letter to each of those names. In other words, I didn't just come to be seen. I'm going to subtract the letter. I'm coming to see somebody. I didn't come just to my group just to be heard, just to tell my story. I'm going to grow up. I'm going to be mature and be other-centric and say, I come to hear your story. How are you doing? I pray, one of the elders pray with me because... Tell me what I can pray specifically for you. He's listening to me. He just didn't come to be heard. And when you grow up and you become not only a disciple so that someone knows your story, at one point you owe it. You owe it to the process and to the Lord to grow up and mature and sit at a table for two and know someone else. You see how it works? This, this is the very heart of Christianity. 
it with them would be on the far side and true Christianity would be on the other side. What's in it for me does not come into play when it comes to biblical New Testament Christianity. I'm going to say that again because I haven't offended you enough. What's in it for me is the exact opposite of Christ-like, selfless, other-centric behavior. So why do we come to church? Listen, let's be honest. We come to church because God has wired us and we need it. But we also came, listen, if you came to work tomorrow morning and say, God, who are you putting in my path? Who are you putting in my path for the gospel? Who are you putting in my path to encourage? Who are you putting in my path that needs a, a, a prayer? Who are you putting in my path that needs an arm around them? Who are you putting in my path that needs just a lousy smile? And if we came to church and said, God, who are you sending me to today just to see, just to acknowledge? Because I promise you there are people in this room that are suffering more aloneness than their photoshopped smile will indicate. Me included, by the way. Me included. You included. So if we came and said, man, I'm not going to come because it's convenient. That's with them. I'm not going to come because I haven't got any things out scheduled. I'm going to come in a New Testament, other-centric mindset, and I'm going to say, I'm here for you. I'm going to be radar, radar man. You need a smile. I love you. It's good to see you. People need to hear that. Not only that, from here to there and back again, where does this fit? Well, you came here today. It was good to be here. You're going to go back to wherever you live, work, and play. But you got to come back. And I would say you got to come back because we fuel each other to be up there. I don't know about you, but like when I go on vacation, you know, and I miss church for a Sunday, there's, I'm, I'm a little, I get a little less ounces. Now, maybe for you, you don't, you're not there, and that's not your deal. But I, and then you, you miss a couple times, and you miss. Whether you know it or not, your gas tank is running, and the fuel is emptying, even though you can't see it, and it's burning. So we come together not only because we need it, not only to see other people and encourage and pray for them, but we need it because we're going back there. So we got to, this is like fuel tank. We're going to fuel ourselves up because there's this thing that when we're together, even though you may not recognize it, there's, when you're together, have you ever been to a concert and you go home and the, the, the music's still ringing in your ears? Or you've been at a great party, you've been at a great event, and you're like, man, that was so fun, and you're thinking about it the next morning or maybe the next week, and it was so cool to be together. This is how God has wired us. So you're at the temple. Solomon is praying. Just built the thing. Dedication service. Fire comes down. Amazing. Watch what happens at the end of it. Second Chronicles 10, uh, 7 verse 10. Solomon sent the people back there. Right? They came. They were here. Now they're going, to, now they're going back there. Solomon sent the people back to their homes, joyful and glad in heart for the good things the Lord has done for David and Solomon, and for his people, Israel. You see, the world, even if you're a conservative news person, as I am, 
It's not going to tell you, hey, look at these disciple makers. Look at what's happening in the Middle East. Look what's happening in Ukraine. Look what's happening in the DR. Listen, you need it. You need it. Somebody told me uh, just yesterday, hey, you need more iodine in your diet. I'm like, I do. I never knew it. See, I don't, I don't have an iodinometer. Don't dismiss the things that you say, well, I, I don't need that. I don't need church. Not so fast. Let the Bible be your lifeometer, and you need it. So let me, let me um, end, end with this sense of, of being together uh, and give you an example. Acts chapter 2 and verse 1. They had come together, and Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria, and we're going to ripple out to the ends of the world eventually. But he said, but before you do that, I want you to come together. You're going to wait on the Spirit of God, but I want you to do that all when you're here together. Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost come, they were all together in one place. God just didn't like, hey, you guys, you know, be, you be at this beach, you go up on a mountain, blah, blah, blah. Because they, there's, an, there's an experience that God has created for us to be here. Then Acts chapter um, uh, 2, verse 44, what were they doing? They were devoting themselves to, to Bible teaching, to apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to fellowship, to being together, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were being done. All the, the believers were together, had everything in common. And whether they knew it or not, their gas tank was being prepped for a journey. So when persecution comes six chapters later, they were able to go back there and be effective because they were here first. The enemy loves the wounded gazelle, the one that's alone, the one that's the youngest, the one that's immature, the one that can't run fast, the one that's got a, a, a leg that's, that's, you know, something's wrong with a leg. The, the enemy loves that. Oh, I got that one. And the worst thing that we can do as Christians, as believers in Christ, you might wonder, hey, why is my Christian life kind of stale? I would propose to you if you're not in the game yet. You got to get in the game. More you get in the game, more exciting it gets. The game is not as exciting at the snack bar as it is on the field. I know that sounds super stupid, simple, but that's just the way it rolls, right? Acts chapter 8, verse 4. Persecution hit. They were scattered and preached the word wherever they went. They were back there. Okay, one little footnote. Here's a footnote. When you take the fuel of being here, you, there's a caveat. Here has to be healthy. Otherwise you, otherwise, you may like, okay, I don't get it. What do I mean by that? Here means that your relationships are either resolved or surrendered. Any conflict that you have must be resolved or surrendered. If there are relationships that are broken here and unresolved conflict, instead of carrying the fuel back into the world, you'll be carrying a grudge. And if you carry a grudge, you won't be an effective missionary wherever you live and work and play. Just a footnote. Because in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were of one heart and one mind. So, 
Here's the picture I want to leave you with today. This is not the playing field. The playing field is where you work. The playing field is where you live. The playing field is in your apartment, your condo, your your home, your neighborhood, your gym, wherever you work out. You know, we go to a, a kind of I'm, I'm the same. I'm the kind of guy that does the same stuff all the time. We go to this one restaurant on Mondays. And so it's you know, for lunch and it's we see the same person. We know the we know the gal. We know her name and we know that her mother-in-law just went through surgery. We know all this, you know, so God has sent us there. And so when we're there, it, we're saying, God, we're on mission. We're here for lunch, but we're also on mission, right? And so this really, if you want to look at that's the field. This is the locker room, right? And you don't have people playing on the field without a locker room. You need the locker room. And so when you come together in the locker room, it's super interesting because you got to, you, you know, you look at TV and everything's so polished. But back in the locker room, I don't know if you've ever been in a locker room, they don't smell that great. And they're kind of sweaty and, you know, and, uh, and that's the way this is. Hey, we're all smelly. We all got brokenness. We all got our, our stuff and, and our bad habits and personality quirks and traits and collisions and blah, blah, blah. We get that. But it's about the game, right? It's not about us. Last time I read the Bible. It's about the game. And that game is called the kingdom. And Jesus said, look at what the fields. They're ripe. Don't let this and not doing this affect that. And you can't be an effective player on the field unless you've been in the locker room. So these guys come in the locker room. Uh, maybe some guy's got well, the wide receiver. It's a football locker room. Maybe the wide receiver, man, maybe he's having marriage problems. Maybe the, maybe the guy that hikes the ball, the sender, maybe, maybe he's got a renegade teenager. Maybe one of them is having financial issues. Maybe one of them is addicted to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography. Maybe they're, you know, so they all come together in this smelly locker room with all their brokenness. And yet something happens that they, they come together. They lock arms. You've seen it. They get in a circle. They start swaying. And they start chanting. And with all their differences, it's all about the game. It's not about here. But we need here, the locker room, to play effectively at the game. Does that make sense? So I was watching this uh, clip from the Kansas City Chiefs. I love the Chiefs. And uh, the coach came in. They had just won a playoff game. And uh, he was gathering the people, you know, all the players in the locker room after the, the game. And I'm going to show you this clip. And then the, the, uh, the quarterback comes in. And he's got a phrase that has just rung in my head that I can't let go of. So I want you to take a look at this. If you picture the church, what if the church did this? That'd be super cool. Let's take, let's take a look. Hey, congratulations, man. Way to bear down, huh? Yes, sir. Big heart, man. God. Hey, listen, listen. So the way this thing's set up, we, we play next Sunday at 2 o'clock. Right, well, if you got some bruises, take care of the bruises, and then we get back on it. If you forgot, we're in the championship game. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Hey, and you don't have to walk far to get there. Yeah. 
All right, let's give a little Chiefs here. How about those Chiefs? It's all they finish. It's all they finish. Make sure you, you come ready to go this next week. Chiefs, all three, one, two, three. I love that, man. Job ain't finished. Why are we why are we having this talk and why am I animated and other than having too much coffee? Why is that? Because the job ain't finished. And the enemy wants to flatten your tire. But you hear what the coach said? Take care of your bruises. Because we're back on the field next time, and they'll be practicing during the week after that film. They'll be coming back to the locker room. And you see all those guys just, man, we're in it for the grit. So I'm going to ask you to play along with me. Would you stand before we close? And if you're comfortable, I want you to lock arms with the person next to you. Just like that. And this is, this is our locker room today. Okay, we're going to start swaying. Come on now. Let's do it together. It's our locker room. And I want you to say with me, job ain't finished. Here we go. Job ain't finished. Even when it looks bleak, job ain't finished. Even when you're struggling with things, job ain't finished. And God has made us to be together cause job ain't finished. There is a mission field cause the job ain't finished. And the game is not over. Let's remind ourselves that job ain't finished. Father, thank you so much for the power of the gospel, the power that you have in us. You may be seated. Thank you, Father, for this locker room that you call the local church. Sometimes we come, oh, we're maybe bent out of shape about this and that. We don't like this and that, whatever. God, the game is too big. The game is too big for this. So, Father, we need here. We need here consistently. Every person in that locker room that I saw was wearing a jersey. Regardless of their differences, their personality clashes, it was all about one mission. So, Father, I'm praying for this team, for this locker room, because every single one of us, without exception, has their own field that you're putting us on this coming week. Job ain't finished. We pray, God, today before we leave for those who have come into this crazy place with a bunch of crazy people with passion for Jesus Christ. Why would that be? Well, maybe that's you. Maybe you came in searching for God. Let me speak to you just for 60 seconds. You wouldn't be here unless you had a, a, a certain level of interest, a certain level of exploring who God is. Well, let me tell you who God is. God is love. God does not only loves you, but God is love. That means he cannot not love. In fact, this is how he demonstrated his love for us. Not only what the Bible says, but in reality, that while we were still sinners, broken, God demonstrated his love by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. This is how we come to God, not through religion or being in the church, reading more of the Bible, not becoming uh, you know, better in our behavior, all that. We turn our heart towards God. We turn it away from the world. We turn it away from ourselves. We turn it away, our heart from away from our own ambitions. 
So when you're sitting here in this room or you're at home, listen carefully. Do you want God in your life? You will find him in no other way but by coming through his son, Jesus, who died on a cross that while you were a sinner, while you, while you were walking away from God, he loved you that much to absorb and forgive all of your sins. Now God is asking you to put your faith in him because you're going to put your faith in something. You're going to put your faith in religion or trying to be better or science. You're going to, you're going to put your faith in something. Why don't you put your faith, your trust, your dependence on Christ alone and say, God, I'm here in a simple way. I'm here broken, imperfect. I want to be right before you. So at this moment, I exchange my old life for a new one in Christ. And I depend on Christ alone right now. Is that your prayer? Don't be ashamed. Is that your prayer? I, God, I want you in my life, and I'm coming. You, you pray it right now in your own language. God, I want you right now. I'm going to trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, for what he did on the cross, for his body broken, his blood given, flowing for forgiveness, the Lamb of God. Maybe you've never seen it that clear before. God is opening your mind. Don't resist him. God, I come to you right now through Christ. Is that your prayer? Father, thank you for being so faithful to us. Now we go back there. We go into the world. We go to the fields that you've prepared. Job ain't finished. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.